The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people, live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. All right. Well, welcome to a Friday afternoon and the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com. In for Leslie today. What a way to end the week, huh? And, uh, well, uh, we've got so much to talk about today, but we're going to start right in with, uh, with important information. And, in fact, um, uh, to help us kick off the show today is someone who was on my show at RadioOrNot.com about a month or so ago. Nomi Prinz, is, um, she's an author. She's a, a, a commentator. She's an educator. She's, a, uh, she's got um, a, a lot of books, uh, including her latest one, All the President's Bankers, now out in paperback, um, uh, that exposes the relationships of presidents to key bankers over the past century and explains how they impacted domestic and foreign policy. And I think that's a great way to start today, uh, and especially to talk about uh, an article that uh, Nomi Prince has, well, it was originally up at Tom Dispatch, been reprinted at The Nation, Salon, and, uh, and, and other places, because it's something that everyone needs to read. The Nation gave it the headline, If you're wondering if Hillary is turning populist, just ask her banker friends. With that, Nomi Prinz, uh, welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show. Thank you so much, Nicole. Good to be talking to you again. Uh, good to be talking with you too. This is this is a this is a, a very in depth article because you really do go into the history of um, well of of what went wrong here in the U.S. Um, in terms of uh, the the uh, um, uh, the repeal of Glass-Steagall, and even uh, further back, it really goes back to the Great Depression when these protections were put in place, or after the Great Depression, I should say, protections put in place to guard us against something similar happening again. And yet, here we are, still digging out from what I, well, what I, uh, I consider a depression, although I'm far from an economist. Um, so, and a lot of the blame on turning back the, the protections goes to Bill Clinton, doesn't it? Um, a lot of it, yeah. And, and not to take any blame away from uh, Vice President Bush when he had a deregulation committee before Bill Clinton um, and working with some, some senior members of Wall Street to, to deregulate the, the system. But, but certainly under Bill Clinton and, and with his relationships that got him the White House, that got him um, into the White House, he had, uh, he had some favors to repay. And also under him, the, the major act of deregulation of the entire banking industry was, was passed, which was um, called the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act, on, uh, based on some Sen- you know, Senator Phil Graham and, and others who had been involved in the act. But basically what it did was it merged together the pieces of the banking system that had been separated um, in the Great Depression in 1933 with the Glass-Steagall Act, um, which is that it merged people's money with esoteric, complex trading practices um, that to the banks were more profitable, um, and, and that became more global and, and ultimately imploded, many of them. 
so and again you this uh the article again that was uh, up at Tom Dispatch you can find it at the nation uh, I believe um uh it should be at uh, Leslie Marshall's Facebook account and Twitter account they'll they'll uh, tweet out the the links um again I I'm looking back to so much that was undone in terms of the protections, now obviously Bill Clinton didn't do this alone, couldn't do it alone. But the fact that a Democratic president was the one who sort of worked with Congress, with with uh, representatives on both sides of the aisle, to to undo these protections, um, I, I find kind of reprehensible and really scary as we look forward. I, I'll tell you one thing that that really stood out to me when I'm reading this piece because it impacts the industry that I've worked in for so many years, Nomi, is uh, you wrote, on February 8, 1996, Clinton signed the Telecom Act, which killed many independent and smaller broadcasting companies, opening a national market for, quote, cross-ownership. The result was mass mergers in that sector advised by banks. And sure enough, here we are a couple of decades later, and the industry is unrecognizable. Um and I'm bringing this up for a reason. One is obviously uh, my livelihood was truly impacted by it. Um, at that time in 96, I was doing really well, you know, working in radio in Los Angeles and making a good living. Um, but because of the Telecommunications Act of 1996, everything in especially radio was just turned on its head. And and the structure as we knew it before is gone. Um and now, I mean, I can't even imagine how many thousands, tens of thousands of, of people, probably hundreds of thousands have lost their jobs and, and jobs that used to be done by, um, uh, you know, say a couple of dozen people inside a radio station are now done by one or two. Um, technology has that effect, right? And so a lot of the problems I'm thinking that we're facing in this economy are also due to technology and and um, the automation, perhaps, of jobs that had to be done previously by human beings. We we on the same level, on the same page here. Well, yeah, and um, well, technology is certainly a part of it, um, but but also the, the the what happens when you deregulate industries when you allow the bigger players in them to become bigger and to eviscerate the smaller ones, whether that's in uh, telecommunications, in, in media, in energy, in banking, um, it means that the, the players that were large to begin with um, gain more influence politically and, and over their own industries, which means individuals in them have less influence or choice as to how they're impacted um, by these, these, these companies, by, by the biggest players. Um, and, and it also means that um, they, the, the larger companies, have this drive to increase their profits to maintain the reason that it worked for them to become bigger, or, or at least to project that reason to begin with. So that's when they start cutting costs. That's when they start firing people. That's when they start, um, you know, the banking system taking more risk to try and make more profit out of the activities in which they're engaged, because that all is, is used to sustain the fact that they've been allowed to become big and have less rules binding them to begin with. So it all kind of connects, you know, people's jobs, how industries change, all connects to the legislation that enables them or enables a few players to dominate um, their individual industries. And sometimes that's actually physically or financially dangerous 
um, to people in terms of a financial crisis, but also on a, on a basis of a, of a per sector um, viewpoint, it, it's dangerous to people who lose their jobs as a direct result of um, these types of drives for, for big companies to become bigger and to show um, their, their, their political and their um, sort of economic might in the process. Right. So as I saw my industry sort of shrink the number of jobs available and um, uh, and actually the, the number of owners of radio stations shrink as well because uh, this what this law did that Bill Clinton signed, um, it, it took ownership rules from it used to be one company could own 7 a.m., 7 FM, and seven television stations spread throughout the country. That was it, with a max of one each per market. Now, those rules were so relaxed that one company could own eight radio stations in a single city, in a single media market. And so there was this rush to consolidation, and the big the big companies swallowed up all the mom and pops. And what we have now are a handful of companies that own most of the radio stations in this country, and therefore, you know, there are fewer jobs for people like me. Now we look at the banks, right? And obviously, I'm I'm less well versed when it comes to the banks uh, than I am when it comes to radio. But but the same kind of thing happened. There was a, a a massive consolidation, right? As the rules were relaxed, and these banks grew so big. And so powerful that now they gave way to the term too big to fail, right? We've been told that, well, they can't even conceive of breaking them up because they are too big to fail. Because if if we let any of these banks fail, well, then it could take down the whole economy. That wouldn't have been possible before Gramm-Leach-Bliley, would it? Or or if if Bill Clinton, let me put it another way, hadn't, you know, worked with these, these mega- uh, bankers on Wall Street to deregulate the industry, then um, none of that would have been possible. Yes, that, that, that's correct. If, if, if there had not been um, a deregulation or, or relaxing of the rules that just kept certain parts of banking separate from each other, separate from people's deposits um, relative to riskier activities, um, if that had not happened, um, a, they want to become bigger. They want to those components of banks want to marry each other and become bigger banks. Um, but also, they want to have imposed as much risk on the system, and they want to been too big to fail because they wouldn't have such a pull, a control over so many of our deposits, um, so many of our loans, to even make the statement that that they were too big to fail. Whether that was a statement which it came from Washington, it didn't really come from the banks, ironically, right. um, or, or not, given their collaborations. Yeah, it was Washington that said they were too big to fail. Um, in, in various different, you know, between the Department of Justice, the Treasury Department, and so forth. So that was the label they were given, but they were created by Washington. I mean, they were certainly created because um, these bankers at the time had a drive to do so. Robert Rubin, who I talk about in that piece and throughout my book, um, you know, was, was a huge player um, in the deregulation of the banking industry. He came, uh, he was the co-CEO of Goldman Sachs when before he became Bill Clinton's Treasury Secretary. He was a big fundraiser for Bill Clinton. He gave Bill Clinton legitimacy on Wall Street, which enabled him, before he got elected, to amass such funds in order to get elected. Um, so, so there was a lot of uh, things that were going on before the scenes, even before the deregulation, just in terms of when Bill Clinton came um, to power when he first became president. Um, and then that continued, Robert Rubin continued in his post as, as 
Treasury Secretary for Bill Clinton um, to push what had been done to a large extent under the Reagan administration and the Bush administration beforehand, but would really give it a go um, in terms of deregulating the industry, pushing in front of Congress the reasons why the American banking industry had to um, be deregulated, or they called it modernized, along the lines that he was talking about, along the lines of, of breaking uh, the rules that had been in place since the Great Depression. Um, and, and that succeeded. Um, there was a vote. Uh, it, it was 90 to, to 8 in the Senate. A couple people didn't vote. Um, there was very few people left who actually voted against who were still in the Senate, one of which is Bernie Sanders, who thought that would be a bad idea to allow these banks to merge across um, these risky and more traditional lines. Um, and, of course, he was right. Um, but the the, the the sort of mechanisms, the associations, the relationships, the quid pro that went on between the Clinton administration and the banking sector um, at the time really allowed a lot of this to happen. But it continues to this day. Um, and that's the other thing that's key. Now, Hillary Clinton has a lot of these same associations. She might not, um, if she wins the presidency, have Robert Rubin be your treasury, his, you know, her treasury secretary. There might be someone else. But he's certainly involved, as are many people, behind the scenes in raising money um, for her, for the Clintons, you know, whether it's in terms of political contributions to PACs, um, or even to the Clinton Foundation from a charitable perspective. Uh, Nomi Prince is with us. That is uh, N-O-M-I-P-R-I-N-S. You can find her on Twitter at Nomi Prince and at NomiPrince.com. She's got a great piece up. Uh, at It's at The Nation Salon, originally at Tom Dispatch. If you're wondering if Hillary is turning populist, just ask her banker friends. I want to um, talk about the election and the Hillary Clinton presidential candidate and how she differs from Bill Clinton, president, and maybe the only other declared Democrat, Bernie Sanders. We'll get to that next with Nomi Friends. Nomi, stand by. We'll be right back. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com. In for Leslie Marshall. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Foundations funds that have come under attack. It's his own for giving 11 speeches for $500,000 or more while his wife was Secretary of State. She's now running for president. Will you continue to give speeches? Oh, yeah. I, I got to pay our bills. He's I also pay give the a bills. lot of it to the foundation every year. I'm, yeah. You know, we does. got a lot to do. You know, all right. Uh, welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show uh, for a Friday afternoon. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com. In for Leslie today. Uh, that was a, a clip of Bill Clinton just the other day talking with Cynthia McFadden of NBC News about uh, getting $500,000 for a speech. And, yeah, he's going to keep giving speeches because he's got to pay the bills. Um <laughs> You know, there is quite the difference, Nomi, Nomi Prince is with us still, Nomi, between, uh, you know, that Bill Clinton now and, uh, and Hillary Clinton, who said we were dead broke when we left the White House, um, and, and the only declared candidate opposing her for the Democratic nomination right now, Bernie Sanders, who actually just a couple of days ago introduced or announced legislation that would break up 
the nation's big banks, the largest right. financial institutions. And it, 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 it should be said, this is the third time he's introduced such a measure. But this time, he is a presidential candidate. So people will, will hear him where before they ignored him. Um, is there any chance, say if Hillary Clinton uh, is the nominee, which is quite probable, um, th- is there any chance she will echo what Senator Sanders is proposing here? Um, I don't think so. If she says anything remotely related to what he is proposing and has proposed um, uh, numerous times before, as you mentioned, um, it won't actually mean anything from, from, from her. It's not going to be a policy or platform she's going to necessarily push through. Um, nor she really mentioned it very often well at all in her um, sort of pre nom- in being potentially selected to be the nominee for the Democratic Party so far. So it's very unlikely. Her friends are on Wall Street. Um, it's, it's really that simple. She has friends all over the world. She has friends in Hollywood. She has friends in Wall Street. Um, and when I say friends, I mean people that have been um, in her camp, in the Clinton camp, for decades. Um, it's not in the individual people, then, then their associates, their, their, their family members, what have you, in, in providing um, not just money but, but influence um, to the Clintons and receiving it from the Clintons over, over many years. And that's not going to go away. Um, so she's not going to point fingers at J.P. Morgan Chase or Jamie Dimon or you know, someone in, in, a, in a senior position at one of the major banks um, and talk about how the very structure of their institution is a liability to the economic um, security of the country. That's just not going to happen. Um, if it is, it will sound very false. But I, I don't even think we, we would have to get to dissecting that. Um, again, you know, you just played a clip about Bill Clinton talking about how he needs to pay the bills for five hundred thousand yeah. dollars speeches. I mean, how does how do they even budget things in that family? <laughs> a good question. I wish I had those problems. Right. You know, uh, right. And so here here's the the big issue I think facing so many of us is we're looking for protections against the same kind of meltdown that not only did we see, you know, uh, back at the, in, with the Great Depression, but we're still digging out from. Um, and we see that even under the Democratic Obama administration, uh, there are still it, it seems like with each year. There have been more and more uh, pushes and more legislation to um, uh, to repeal whatever minor uh, protections we have had in place. Does it matter if it's a Democrat or Republican or are we screwed no matter who's in office? Um, from the standpoint of, of the main potential candidates for the face-off in 2016, which is Hillary Clinton, and I, I still believe Jeb Bush, even though he hasn't yeah. officially announced yet, yeah. I know. I know, but uh, if you look at this in terms of, again, family power and, and, and sort of the money and influence machine oh. behind them politically, ah. we're talking about. No, me, Prince, I'm sorry. This is not my regular show, and I'm up against the clock. I'm Will Roberts, and this is The Daily Scream. Ah, here we go. Now, things are starting to get a little creepy. I just saw an ad for a light bulb that's a speaker. Would that make it a Sprite or a leaker? 
Or maybe it's just a drone. See, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I'm starting to get wigged out by all these odd ideas. Don't get me wrong. I love my Swiss Army knife because it has a lot of uses, but too many things now are wireless. And with all this whole NSA and government spy program stuff, this bulb seems just a little too James Bond, Get Smart, and Jetsons for me. I don't want to sound old, but can I just buy a pen to write with and not have to have it check my blood pressure and also tell me if my credit is bad? I think folks are becoming uh, dependent. Maybe the reason Americans are top of obesity rates is because we don't have to move anymore once we get on the couch. We've gone from dad coming home and having his pipe, his slippers, and his scotch to get me a beer, apps that do everything, and on demand. If you really want to see the world, get off your phones and your couch. Oh, yeah, and get my cartoons at willsays.com. All right. Uh, Nothing like a little bit of laughter on a Friday afternoon. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com in for the vacationing Leslie. I think she'll be back on Monday. Uh, We've got a lot of stuff, a busy, busy Friday afternoon for you. Big thanks to Nomi Prince. Um, And again, I apologize for cutting her off. I'm, uh, you know, getting used to the the lay of the land here on Leslie's show. Uh, Nomi Prince, you can follow her on Twitter at Nomi Prince. Uh, find her at nomiprince.com. Read any of her books. She's brilliant. Um, but we were talking about, you know, Hillary Clinton and how she, it seems to be trying to adopt the populist fervor that, um, we're seeing surrounding, you know, first Elizabeth Warren, now, of course, Bernie Sanders. Uh, and I gotta say, um, uh, uh just uh, by way of full disclosure, I am a Bernie Sanders supporter. I think he's awesome. I think he's what we need right now. I think if if we give or if, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the Democratic Party gives America a real progressive populist to vote for, we will come out in force. Um, could be wishful thinking. <laughs> I could be thinking, you know, unicorns in every driveway. But I, I really think that, you know, part of the problem with uh, Democratic voter turnout, especially in midterms, has been that we have been given uh, conservatives. We've been given Republican light candidates to, to vote for. And we've said, no, thanks. I'd rather I'll just stay home. So um, but with that, I, I'm also a realist. And I understand that Hillary Clinton is enjoying unheard of um, uh, numbers, polling numbers. I mean, she seems to be the shoe. And I'm glad Bernie Sanders jumped in the race because I don't believe in coronations. I think we need a primary. Uh, I think that's the Democratic way. And I'm glad that she will be challenged. And, and I think it is the pressure from the draft Warren movement and from the excitement around Bernie Sanders that is pushing Hillary Clinton to say some things that I don't think we would have heard from her otherwise. Case in point, uh, on Tuesday, Hillary Clinton was in Las Vegas and she delivered a speech dealing with immigration and she shocked certainly me, but I think most of us when she promised as president to take executive action more broadly than Mr. Obama has to defer, de- defer deportations of, of those who are here, uh, you know, dreamers and family members. And she also said that she wanted a, um, a, a real path to citizenship for people who are here illegally or undocumented immigrants. Uh, to help us navigate through this, uh, I'm thrilled to be joined by Michael Shore. He's a political correspondent for Al Jazeera. 
Uh, hey, Michael. How are you, Nicole? Uh, I'm good. Sorry for that lengthy intro, but no, I no, wanted no, to set it up like that. Me. You just did it. <laughs> okay, <great>. well, <laughs> if, if not for Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren pushing hard from the left, do you think we would have heard Hillary Clinton uh, make the speech she did on Tuesday? I would say, uh, and, and not to rain on your parade because you've uh, announced yourself <laughs> as a Sanders supporter, but I don't I think it had anything at all to do with Bernie Sanders and with uh, with uh, with Elizabeth Warren. I think that it had everything to do with Peter Schweitzer and his book, and I think oh. it had everything to do with the Republican Party and the demographics of Nevada. So I, I you know, and, and I, I encourage everybody to run for office and and you know coronations are a bad thing I, I concur with you but i think this is one example of where she wasn't pulled to the left by the presence or the almost presence of sanders um and and warren so i think that okay so now now i want to run something else by you because okay. look i'm saying it's it's the pressure from the left and the threat from the left frankly for more challenges well the only other challenge from the left would be elizabeth warren and she's not running but um, I thought this was fascinating. I'm going to play a short clip, and it was from uh, Morning Jerk. I'm sorry, Morning Joke. Morning <laughs> Joe yesterday on the MSDNC, you know, that, that station. Anyway, the, and Chuck Toad, I'm sorry, I'm, uh, it's Friday. My you keep brain going up on your lines here. I don't know. You know, that. I know. They're just not working together. right. Anyway, Chuck Todd, the, the host of Meet the Press um, uh, or Press the Meet, was on with, with uh, Morning Joe and, and actually said this. Look, the, the one thing I was impressed with this week was she did eat up a news cycle with immigration. Like, we do find out there are ways she can stop I mean so all of a sudden and it was a jarring it was a surprising uh, rollout of her immigration policy sort of the first time that she'd run out of any policy so I think that was their their one hope is that they could at least step on I think they were hoping to slow down the Bill Clinton story you know I, I, I always wonder did they mean to roll out any policy before she actually formally announced I bet you they didn't but they okay first of all first of all um, Chuck Todd should know that Hillary Clinton had already formally announced her candidacy before she made the speech on Tuesday. Hello. But he also, in that 30 seconds of sound I played there, said, uh, I guess she is sort of saying what, what you said, that it had to do with the, the Schweitzer book. Um, but, but he was saying the only reason she did this was to stop that news cycle. I mean, really? Right. I, I, you know, I, I disagree with Chuck on, on that, and I'm, I was surprised he said that, too, about her uh, not having announced her, her candidacy. Yeah. You know, th th there was a lot of play here. One thing you have to remember, Nicole, is that there are, hard as it is to believe, a number of Americans who have not yet formed an opinion of Hillary Clinton. And uh, they are... They come from newer voters. They come from new other states as well um, that that they haven't the the Democrats haven't visited a lot. And in order to appeal to those voters, she has to aggressively court them. And I think this is what she's doing. I think she sees in the Latino community a a real swath of voters that have not formed an opinion about her. And 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 to make a favorable opinion on them, this was a great opportunity to do that. And also. As some of the Republicans have pulled to, and I'll put it in quotations, the left on immigration, Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush stepping away from their party yeah. in, a left, in a leftward way, uh, <laughs> she saw and her campaign saw an opportunity to say, hey, hey, let's stop that. Let's 
point out that they are not to the left. Legal status, in quotation marks, is not uh, to the left. It's not a path to citizenship. And she spoke about that, and she took that away from them. And I think that was an important part of what she did. And that, that really is the headline. Well, it is. And and look, I, I mean, what we, the, the conversation about Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush is a lengthy one for another day. I live in Florida. You know, there's a reason I call it Florida. Um, right. we, we had both of those make make pretty strong statements on the need for immigration reform, only to then you got to wonder about the phone call they got because they both basically said, never mind. You right, know, it exactly. was like, wow, that was fast. Um, Hillary Clinton, though, this is interesting because she said, as I read at the beginning, um, she promises presidents to take executive action more broadly than Mr. Obama has to defer the deportations of those who have strong bonds to the community through family and work. Um, if President Obama is getting so much pushback over his much less aggressive executive order, uh, does she really think that she'd be able to to get this uh, through without considerable pushback or or you know probably uh, not uh, probably not but it's still a good thing to say to the audience to whom she was saying it and and I think that that's that's a, a big part of it I mean listen we we all know there's a difference and we see it with President Obama a difference between what you are as a candidate and how you are as a president uh, and and of course it would not be easy for her to go through executive action though it would be some years on before it would get to that and who knows what would have changed by then but what she is doing here is addressing an issue with people who want to hear those promises, who want to hear that talk. And her popularity in that community already at this early stage is quite high. The other thing, and you know this from living in Florida, that that most of the country hears citizenship, amnesty, all of that. That's all they know about about, you know, uh, immigration. It's, it's the, but you, you watched the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight last week, and there were three or four fights before it, too. And there are other issues that she addressed to this audience that aren't being addressed in a national way, about reunifying families, about overhauling uh, detention facilities that are privatized and in terrible condition and overfilled and all of that. These are the things that these voters want to hear that the press and, and, and many voters around the country aren't paying attention to because they stop at, at, at uh, amnesty. It's very, very tactical and very smart. Right. And and a lot of times candidates say things during campaigns that, you know, they may not be able to follow through on. And especially if Hillary Clinton becomes president with a Republican House and a Republican Senate, uh, her her options are rather limited. Um, exactly. That's for sure. Hey, Michael Shore, I want to ask you about something else, because I just crossed my Twitter stream that uh, the Senate... I can't believe this. We'll vote on fast track trade promotion authority on Tuesday. We still don't know where Hillary Clinton stands on this. And yet uh, we got we can't help but remember that it was under her husband's administration that gave us NAFTA. Right. It was. And, you know, the the uh, the labor movement and, and organized labor in the country is is uh, is doing an NRA tactic on Democrats on this issue right now. And I I think that's probably why uh, Hillary Clinton hasn't addressed it, among other reasons. But uh, with members of Congress, they're going to members of Congress. I've spoken to three or four Democrats, uh, some of them from, you know, blue states, some from red states, who are saying that the labor labor has come to them and said, we are going to primary you, we are going to support a primary if you go ahead and support this. And, And that's putting a lot of pressure on a lot of these uh, a lot of these members of Congress and so if you can imagine what it would be like for a presidential candidate if that's what it's like for for sitting members of Congress 
it's you know whether or not she takes a position on it i think a lot of people because of what you just said nicole knowing the clinton history with trade agreements a lot of people have a feeling of where she is on it and don't even think she hasn't been pressed to ask to answer it as much as i thought she would because right but I but think- the other the other issue is she really hasn't answered a lot of questions she's been doing her listening tour but right. since she announced her candidacy she hasn't held a press conference in fact the only a long-form sit-down interview, if you will, that, that has been done uh, since her announcement is by Bill Clinton. Well, that's true. And, and prior to that, I mean, there was no great success that came out of what she did at the United Nations in addressing no. her emails. So I think that the, the, the campaign higher-ups and Hillary herself probably sat down and said, hey, you know, we, gotta, we don't need to do this right now. And uh, we have to do it in a measured way. And, uh, you know, that's the advantage of running when you're virtually unopposed, even this far out, um, where it's not as much of a requirement, uh, is that you can decide when and where you want to answer questions. It's why incumbents yeah, never well, want to debate, because they don't have right. to debate. You know, and, and, that's, and that's what she's faced with. She's going to have to answer questions. She's going before the Benghazi committee, for goodness sake, so she's going to have to answer some there, too. But on, on issue after issue, as the campaign nears, She's going to have to answer questions, and if she doesn't, then then conversations like the ones we're have, we're having right now are going to be much more impactful. Right, but I uh, let me uh, let me just throw this out there: uh, if if the Senate is voting on fast track on Tuesday, I want to know where Hillary Clinton comes down on this issue because I think it's a massive one. I think it's huge, and and I know. Look, the the White House is drawing real ugly battle lines here, and 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 positioning. You know, uh, Democrat against progressive. And, I, and I'm kind of angry about it in case that's not apparent. Um, I want this is my my quest. And if anyone's listening from the Hillary Clinton campaign, I want to know where she stands on fast track before the Senate votes on Tuesday. Uh, Michael Shore, uh, maybe you'll get that story for us on Al Jazeera. I'll work on it. OK, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Good Thank talking you, with Nicole. you. All right, take care. Michael Shore, political correspondent for Al Jazeera on, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton's immigration policy, such as it is. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back on the other side, check in with the talk radio news service. Uh, I know that um, uh, Luke Vargas is in Moscow, really, and he'll tell us about the elections in Great Britain because we are global. We act locally, think globally or something like that. Stick around. I'm Nicole Sandler in for Leslie Marshall. We'll be right back. Leslie Marshall, the simple truth in a complicated world. 888-6-LESLIE. Sandler in for Leslie Marshall on the Leslie Marshall show on this Friday afternoon. Uh, now we turn to our friends at the talk radio news service. They're at talkradionews.com. And today we've got Luke Vargas, who's usually at the UN today, though he's in Moscow. You're just, you're just the, the globe trotter, Luke. <laughs> oh, it's, 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 it's a great job. I'm, you know, always so fortunate to be able to come to places like this. 
Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we we we, we got to stop meeting like this. Obviously, you were on my show uh, this morning, and we, we talked about Moscow. But is this your first time there? It is. I studied uh, Eastern European and Russian history in college and, oh. and know the language a little bit from high school. But I have really only talked about Russia and never had a chance to set foot on it. So, uh, you know, props to, uh, to Ellen and, and Talk Radio News for getting me out here finally. Most definitely, but they're not giving you time to stay and explore and do the tourist uh, stuff. Huh? <laughs> there are other reasons involved Damn for them. why I want to get back <laughs> to London quickly so we can talk again uh, on Monday yeah. uh, and, well, and share everything that's going on. <laughs> yes, and, and I'm sure Leslie will get the, the scoop from you, but there's just so many things you can say when you're there in Russia. Uh, there, but very quickly, before we move on to the U.K. elections, um, uh, any chance you can hook up with Edward Snowden while you're there? I <laughs> know. I wish I could say he's offered me his couch for the weekend so I could ah. get a scoop or something. You know, I will say one thing that has happened uh, since this morning here, and that we've learned that the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, has met with the Chinese leader, Xi Jinping, here, uh, and they signed a total of 32 economic deals today. This is really staggering. They total about $25 billion. Uh, they're going to include a high-speed rail project that's totally within Russia, but that China is going to partially finance. That's um, going to bring commerce out of Russia and out of the western part of Russia, a little bit towards China. There's a gas pipeline that is going to be built to export Russian gas to China. And I think what's most significant about this is we've seen, it, you know, it's been often talked about that Russia and China are not really allies, but they're strategic partners, that they've sort of bumped heads in recent years because Russia has this Eurasian Union, sort of an economic partnership with a lot of its uh, former uh, Soviet uh, countries. And and the China has been pursuing something that's sort of seen at odds with that, which is called the Silk Road Economic Belt, it's essentially taking Chinese economic expansion and pushing it west. This is, you know, through Pakistan, uh, Afghanistan, into the rest of the stands. Uh, and these countries really haven't acknowledged each other's projects. In the speeches today from both leaders, we saw really, really a, a complete thaw of this, that both of them were sort of talking about how they were going to integrate their future development with the other. China saying, we'll work with their Eurasian Union. On the same thing coming back from Putin saying, we are acknowledging the Silk Road and we're going to use, uh, you know, sort of uh, the opportunities that this creates for our own benefit here. So in many ways, I think this is, uh, again, not the biggest deal signed as far as dollar terms, uh, but in sort of the rhetoric used, it really did mark a turning point. And it, it proves that a big global gathering like this isn't just going to be used for Putin to uh, to show off the Russian military, uh, which we'll see just in a few hours, that it's being used to conduct some pretty serious business on the sides as well. Right. And the big global gathering there in Moscow is this giant parade to mark the what do they call it over there? It's not V.E. Day. It's what? The Great, the great Patriotic War. <laughs> OK. All right. And it's the 70th anniversary. It's not even like the 75th. But you said this is like the biggest. They have a parade a lot but this is this is this one is like unheralded un, unheard of the the enormity of it yeah, every year. I don't have the figures about how the sort of numbers of troops stack up, but we are seeing the Chinese military participating. The Indian military is coming here to participate. That has not happened in past ceremonies. So, um, again, even if the numbers on the Russian side, the number of tanks and planes really isn't going up, and though I do believe it is, we are seeing greater participation from foreign governments here, which does signal uh, the fact that this is an increasingly important um, event for, for, for the government here. Ah, all right. I forgot. We don't have as much time here as we do on my show. So very quickly, in like uh, 30 seconds, Luke, oh. if you can, what happened in Great Britain yesterday? 
Well, the pollsters were wrong. There was no labor surge. Uh, David uh, Cameron is going to stick around for another five uh, years. But look, uh, there was a lot of speculation that if there was a hung parliament, it would create divisions. David Cameron in the driver's seat has to steer through a lot of divisions himself. He's got an EU in or out referendum coming within the next two years. And with Scotland now totally behind its national party, uh, we might see another referendum in Scotland. So he's got problems of his own. Maybe this is the poison chalice that we were talking about for so long. Maybe so. I was hoping that, uh, you know, that the success for the liberals, the Democratic Socialist Party in Alberta on Tuesday would repeat in uh, London yesterday or Great Britain, but it didn't. Luke Vargas from the Talk Radio News Service, talkradionews.com. I'll talk to you next week, Luke. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Cole Sandler. I'm from RadioOrNot.com. I, I was on Air America for its uh, last year or so. Um, and when the network went under, I moved my show online. I do a live show Monday through Friday mornings, 10 to noon Eastern, right, uh, uh, at RadioOrNot.com. And it streams there in, in uh, a loop all day long, along with uh, the broadcast from Brad Friedman. So uh, just another place you can find some progressive uh, talk radio. Um, all right. Uh, our next guest is, uh, I, I, I don't know if she's on the line yet or not, but, uh, but, uh, as soon as I know for sure, we'll bring her on, but, but I'm thrilled to welcome Catherine Hiller to the show. I had her on my show a few weeks ago after reading an article in the New York times about her and, uh, and her book it, called just say yes, a marijuana memoir. And, you know, um, I am a proponent of ending prohibition, in case you were wondering. Uh, so, so basically, her story is that uh, Catherine Hiller has been smoking pot, or weed, as the kids now call it, for 50 years. Yes, you heard right. Catherine Hiller is 68 years old, and she thought it was time to come out of the closet. Now... I live in Florida, uh, the state known as the Sunshine State, <laughs> and they can't get it together to to pass uh, even a medical marijuana law uh, and and take advantage of the sunshine we have here because this stuff will grow like weeds. Oh, wait a minute. Why do you think they call it weed? Yeah. So, um, you know, we've seen, uh, much as we've seen a, a sort of a sea change when it comes to uh, same-sex marriage, right? Um, okay, we got her. So she's there. Let's let's bring her on now. Uh, what I'm saying is, as as we've seen the sea change in attitudes toward same-sex marriage, we're we're seeing sort of a a, um, a a the same kind of attitude shift when it comes to prohibition, right? And 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 again, a lot of people are being won over because of the the medical uses. Of marijuana, well, um, uh, there are some people who are just saying, "Hey, you know what? I don't need it for medical use. I just like the way it makes me feel." And with that, uh, I say once again, "Hello to Catherine Hiller." Catherine, you there? I am. Can you hear ah, me? Ah, 
I hear you now. Um, uh, you, you were on my show a few weeks ago, and I got to tell you, I got such a great response from oh, listeners. Oh, it's great to hear. Yeah. What, what were people saying? <laughs> well, that, that um, uh, first, uh, it's like, oh, my God, I'm so glad to hear someone else like me. So we got that. I, I had some person, someone who wrote an email to me and said, I'm buying this book for my mother now. Um, so, so I <laughs> think, so Catherine, I think this book, Just Say Yes, a marijuana memoir, um, has sort of, you know, uh, cracked open the door to let other uh, people, maybe aging hippies, know that it's okay to be more, um, more, more open about it, more, more honest about the fact that, yeah, you smoke pot and you like the way it makes you feel. That's right, and that was certainly a motivation for writing the book. I wanted a lot of people to know about, you know, that I've lived my life this way and it hasn't hurt me in the least. And what I'm hearing from people out there is how many others there are who says, oh, I can't believe it's someone else who's been a lifelong user without any ill result. So it's it's a delight to hear from these people. And... Those are mainly the people I'm hearing from. Of course, I'm hearing from young people, too, who, you know, again, they're sort of pleased to see an older person be very candid about this particular subject. Now, you know, Catherine, you may be 68 now, but back in the 60s and 70s, you know, you, I'm guessing, were, were you a hippie? You know, I was a weekend hippie, Nicole. <laughs> I was, uh, you know, I was a serious student. I was a doctoral student at Brown. Wow. And I did mm-hmm. get a Ph.D. by the time I was 25. Wow. So I was dedicated to learning, dedicated to logic. I didn't, I wasn't a new age hippie at all. But on the weekends, you know, I wore the clothes. I smoked the joints. I um, loved the weekend thing, the music, that was part of my life. Oh, so. I think, I, okay, oh, you're breaking up on me. So stay I know, in one I'm place. Sorry. <laughs> I, I'm going to stay in one place. I do have a spinning stool here in this hotel, and I'm urging your producer to call me on the landline here. Ah, yeah, but we're, we're not going to have time. So, so let's just, oh, we'll, oh, we'll try to get okay. through the, yeah, unfortunately, this, you know, because we're over the air, they have more, uh, you know, stringent time concerns than on my show when we could just, you know. Uh, shoot yeah. the stuff, so to speak. I can't even say the word. Uh, anyway, so so, um, but now y- you are a published author. You have uh, five novels published. You've got five in the works. This is your first nonfiction book and your first um, kind of um, uh, uh, s- s- sort of semi autobiographical uh, tome. Yes. Well, my novels are semi-autobiographical uh-huh. and that they've often been inspired by something in my life. And- okay, you know what? Or- we're going to do this because I, I want to hear what you're saying. Um, we're we're going to take a break now. Uh, we'll okay, take a break good. a couple okay. minutes early. We'll break now and then they'll call you back on the landline so we hear everything you say. Okay. All right? So, okay. so go hang up and we'll, we'll call you right back and I'll let the listeners know we're speaking with Catherine Hiller. The author of Just Say Yes, a marijuana memoir, and I want you to be able to hear what she's saying. So we'll take a break and be right back. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, in for Leslie Marshall. Don't go away. You're listening to The Leslie Marshall Show, truth for all sides of the spectrum, 888-6-LESLIE. 
to the Leslie Marshall Show. I am Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com. In for the vacationing, Leslie Marshall. All right, we're back, and we've got our guest, Catherine Hiller, on a landline now. So hopefully uh, she won't break up anymore. Catherine, you there? I certainly am. How yeah. are you again? Okay, oh. much better. All right, the book is called Just Say Yes, a Marijuana Memoir. And I'm guessing, Catherine, that this might make a really good Mother's Day gift oh, for I'm some so <laughs> for that. some moms, oh. right? Well, you know, I heard you say that one of the, your listeners or a comment had said, yes, I'm right. buying this book for my mother. Right. And so it is that a lot of the people that are responding to this book are also longtime users. So if your mom is one of those, is one of those puff ladies, she would love this book because it helps show a positive side of long-term usage. And I'm candid, there are some negatives too, but most of my book is upbeat and it's funny and it's a short book and it's a user-friendly book. It fits right in your hand. So it is a nice Mother's Day present. And the thing that I love about it, uh, Catherine, is that it, it's so honest. You know, look, I'm 55 years old. Uh, you're 68. Uh, mm-hmm. Frankly, uh, I grew up in South Florida. As a, as a kid of the 70s in South Florida, this is where it all came in. And yet, so I smoked pot as a kid. And, and throughout the, um, uh, you know, my adult life, I've had uh, stints where I did smoke, sometimes when I didn't, depending on where I was living. But um, frankly, at 55 years old, I know that marijuana has not harmed me. It, it wasn't the gateway to, to harder drugs. I'm not a heroin addict. I, I've, I've led a responsible life. And I think as a responsible adult, if I want to smoke a joint, I should be able to smoke a joint. And some states around the nation are coming to that conclusion as well. We've got Colorado. We've got Oregon. Um, and, and a few other states have, uh, have jumped in as well as the, uh, as the District of Columbia. This is happening. Did you think that you would see it in your lifetime, though? Well, Nicole, I thought I would see it much sooner than this. Ah. So mm-hmm. ubiquitous in the seventies, uh, you know that you'd rarely, you know, go to a gathering of your contemporaries without it being around and around a lot. Um, one of my chapters is called "High at Home," and it describes my early married years in the seventies and how there was just a little jar of cannabis on the mantelpiece. People automatically went to it, you know, and looked around and poked in it. It was just something that so many people did that I was sure that by the year 2000 it would be legal. So for me, huh. the, uh, I'm, I'm incredulous that it's taking so long. Yeah, it, it, it's really frustrating um, uh, it, it, because I, I see the good it does. And, uh, and frankly, I see people, you know, I, I've been in rooms of people who've been high on pot and I've been in rooms of people who've been drunk on alcohol, mm-hmm. and there is no comparison. I, I say, get me away from that room of drunken people and put me <laughs> in with the stoners, please. <laughs> right? Well, you know, I think what has to happen next is that more people, more successful people like you, Nicole, have to come out. And that's why I'm glad to hear you on the air talking about your lifetime use. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, but it's it could be there. And so that's great. And what we need to do is within the risk tolerance of the individual, 
individual, we do have to encourage more people to be like Bill Maher, say, and just acknowledge, yeah. Right. It was so funny, you know, one of the quotes that I use in my book um, from Bill Maher is that he was asked if he'd ever tried pot, and he said, oh, yeah, I've tried it maybe 50,000 times. <laughs> You know, I got to say, when we last spoke, we were talking about it. It affects different people differently. That's why, um, you know, it, it's sort of a, a trial and error thing that you have to do in a safe space. You're not going to drive. You're not going to be in a, in a position where, um, uh, you know, where where you're going to operate a vehicle. But you you get to know what your tolerance levels are and what you can do well while high and what you can't. For instance, we talked about sex and you said that you didn't like sex on pot. And I said, you know, if I can quiet my mind enough, it's the most mind blowing thing. I mean, it, it, it makes for, for me the most amazing orgasms ever. So I enjoy that. But on the other hand, in your book, you said you can write while you're stoned. Oh my goodness. I can't put three words down in a sentence when I'm high because uh, I get through two of them and I forget what the third one was going to be. Well, that's what you're saying just goes to show how it does affect people differently. But I want to go back to what you said just before, which was sex. you have to know how to use oh. it. Oh, that. I, I know it may be less interesting than <laughs> sex, Nicole, but listen, I think it's very important that instead of the concept of drug abuse, we think of it as more a responsible use, responsible use of whatever it is. And in this That's case, right. marijuana, I would never get in the car to drive with being stoned. It's just something I personally cannot do. Um, I think other people can. I have to say this in all honesty. It depends um, on the person. But I can't and I never would. So you have to know how to use this you know, this wonderful herb, and I do think it's a wonderful herb, but you have to be responsible about it, too. Right. Now, we, we all heard the stories of Maureen Dowd, who decided mm-hmm. she would go to Washington or Colorado, uh, it, where, where recreational pot use is legal, and she bought some edibles, and she started, like, tripping. Well, the thing, it, again, you need to do it with someone who knows what they're doing, or you need to have the guidance of somebody at a dispensary who knows what to tell you, because... Again, being in a state where it's not legal, uh, we don't have access to those edibles. And apparently they're very, very potent. Um, So she did it stupidly. You have to be really careful. It was unfortunate. And here's the whole problem with edibles, which is why I won't use them myself. Um, The problem is it takes a while to kick in, maybe a couple of hours. So you've had your morsel, which will do it. But in Maureen Dowd's case... It wasn't labeled correctly, or she ignored it, so she had enough for about eight people. And then she was totally miserable. She thought she would die, and it lasted hours and hours. And then she went to write about it and was, of course, ridiculed. Um, She had taken a, a ridiculous amount. But I think that, you know, better labeling is clearly called for. And you don't want it to look like candy. You don't want the kids finding it, the little kids finding it and opening it. So, you know, it's a whole new universe out there. Yes, it is. I've been in Seattle. I've walked into pot shops and been recognized, by the way. But (laughs) I have bought it over the counter. It is an amazing feeling. It really is. I love that. Yeah, yeah, see, I want to be able to do that, and I, I haven't been able to yet. Uh, Catherine, let's take a phone call. We've got uh, Steve uh, calling from Miami. Steve, you there? Yes, On the I Leslie am. Marshall Show with Nicole Sandler and Catherine Hiller. Hi. 
Hello, Nicole. I What's am Professor line? X on your message board. Ah, hey, Professor X. And I'm also Prof X, obviously, in the chat room. In the chat room, yeah. You said people in the message board aren't listening to you, so that's why I joined the chat room to prove to you that I do. But And I thank you for that. <laughs> so anyway, so um, I just want to say one thing. Anybody who calls me a demo bot or a hack is a douchebag. So okay. that's the, the people who called me that this afternoon or this morning. Okay, did you but, have a comment on the, on the pot, on the yes, marijuana? Yes, I do indeed. Uh, the, the interesting thing about cannabis, you know, only in Florida, of course, you know, with medical cannabis, of course, it got 50 percent plus of the vote. It got it got 58 percent of the vote. There was a, a constitutional amendment on the ballot in November for medical marijuana, got 58 yep. percent. It needed 60 to pass. And by the way, when it first came up, approval ratings were at around 82 percent. And it wasn't until... Sheldon Adelson, who has it doesn't live in Florida, put yep. five million dollars into the No on Two campaign to defeat it. That it that it went down, but fifty eight percent voted for it in Florida. Because, as we all know, casino gambling is a better addiction than marijuana. It's well, right. of course, it's and it's and that's where Sheldon Adelson gets his money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he wants to sell booze in his casinos, and right. you know, obviously, maybe marijuana doesn't or is a competition for that, but. Yeah, I don't know, that whole thing. But so the thing that just sort of irritates me about that, of course, is, you know, there's a whole hypocrisy in this. You can buy right now, uh, you know, you can get basically synthetic THC, Marinol, uh, anywhere, basically. Which is, I mean, which is well, disgusting because it grows naturally in the ground. It's an yes. herb. It's a weed. And but Correct. so they want to so, they want to make a synthetic version of it with well, chemicals. Right. What the government essentially is saying is that the natural form of it is more dangerous than the synthetic form because they put natural THC in Schedule One, where right. yes, synthetic THC is in Schedule Three, which is completely illogical, of course. But right. And you know what? You know you know what I call that, don't you? <laughs> what you what? Call Welcome to Opposite World, where in is out and up is down. Yeah, it's opposite world. It makes no sense. Hey, uh, uh, Steve, thank you for the call. i got to run because we're going to have to okay. go to break in a moment. Catherine Hiller, again, the book is called Just Say Yes, a Marijuana Memoir. It is great reading. And, you know, if you thought maybe your mom, um, uh, you know, has or might like to uh, smoke weed, it's a fun read no matter what. And it might take the... Um, you know, the stigma away, and that's what you're trying to do by, by coming out of the closet about it. Absolutely. I'm just hoping that by being out there, I can encourage others to, to see this thing for what it is, not, not threatening at all, just another way to feel good. Absolutely. It's so great to talk with you again, uh, and we'll keep in touch. Uh, Catherine Hiller, Just Say Yes, a Marijuana Memoir. I'm Nicole Sandler, in for Leslie Marshall. We'll be right back. We are in the home stretch towards the weekend. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com in for Leslie Marshall on the Leslie Marshall Show. And I have left this last half hour open to talk to you. The phone number is 888-6LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. And you're welcome to call in about anything we've discussed on the show or anything else, frankly, for that matter. But I, I want to talk about this for a moment. 
Uh, Sunday is Mother's Day. You should know that by now. If you are lucky enough to still have a mother alive, call her. Do something nice for her. Um, I'm one of the unlucky ones. I happened to lose my mom to leukemia um, about 10 days before my 20th birthday. So uh, it's been it's been uh, way too long without her. And frankly, I still miss her every single day. Um, But thankfully, on Mother's Day, I am now the mother. I have a 16-year-old daughter uh, that blows my mind that she's 16. Um, uh, I actually came to motherhood in, uh, in an untraditional way. I, I am an adoptive mother. I adopted my kid as a single parent from Kazakhstan. Uh, and it, it is a heartwarming, wonderful story. If you care to read about it, uh, it's up at radioornot.com under the about tab. Um, I share our story because if I can encourage one family to grow, uh, through adoption, it's it's more than worth uh, telling my story a million times. Um, that said, as a parent, uh, I think the most responsible thing we can do is to make sure our homes are safe, to 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 have a a safe, nurturing environment for our children. And that's why I want to share this with you. Last night, uh, I, I, I awoke in the middle of the night, as I do, because <laughs> insomnia, hello. Uh, and, I, and I went on Facebook and I started reading. And I came across a post from the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence. And it was a picture of a guy. And below the picture of the guy were two pictures of an adorable little girl, a six-year-old little girl. And the six-year-old little girl is now dead. Let me read to you um, what, uh, what happened. Um, it says, uh, Evan Hernandez of Florida. Are you surprised? It's Florida, Panama City, up near the Panhandle area of Florida, who likes to dress his kids up as shooters, shooters and etch biblical inscriptions into his gun gear. That Evan Hernandez of Florida. You might know him or someone like him. Anyway, on Sunday... He was playing cowboy in front of a mirror with a loaded gun, and it went off. Not only did it go off, it killed his six-year-old daughter, Isabella, who was not just any six-year-old kid. Uh, She's a leukemia survivor. So this little girl lived through and survived leukemia only to be shot dead by her father's preening in the mirror with his gun playing cowboy, and he killed her. Now, as if that's not bad enough, uh, my, my, my real shock and anger came when I started reading the comments. I'm going to read to you some of the comments here. Jean Crankshaw wrote, As sick as he is, Killing his own child is more punishment than any person should ever have to cope with. If he has any sanity left, he's bound to be beating himself up worse than any of us could. Will taking him from his family really solve anything? If this ultimate low didn't teach him, nothing will. Really? Uh, Somebody named Walter Sledge wrote, Bad as it is, it's very sad. This guy is punished enough. So pressing charges for what? 
because the post from the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence encourages everyone to call Florida's 14th Judicial Circuit State Attorney, Glenn Hess, and the phone numbers are listed there, and to tell him that you want charges brought against Hernandez immediately. And so these are some of the responses on that Facebook post. Um, Ellen Mickey wrote, This man will forever be the man who shot his daughter while playing with a gun. I'm not sure anything will be worse than that, but he should never, ever be able again to own a gun and should have to do about a million hours of community service working with kids on gun safety. Hey, Ellen Mickey and Walter Sledge and Gene Crankshaw, are you guys freaking nuts? Do do about a million hours of community service? He killed his daughter! Let me just say this, too. There are no gun accidents. Nobody is accidentally killed by a gun or by a bullet from a gun. No, it's negligence. Somebody who should know better with a gun was negligent, and somebody got killed. Or I should say... And that negligent person killed somebody. Elise Harris wrote, she's gone. His lesson has been fed to him. He has at least one more child. Oh, my God. He has at least one more child. This person continues. I think if he were punished further, it should be that he has to put out ads about what happened to his family and the truth about being careful with guns. Okay, uh, do I need to play the opposite world thing again? All right, one more. Here's one more. Gene, oh, it's Gene Crankshaw again. Uh, because someone else said, uh, you know, I guess uh, wrote back to this Gene Crankshaw crank <laughs> and, and said, are you crazy? And this person wrote, no mercy for a grieving, guilt-ridden parent? I don't like gun fetishism at all. But do we treat the sick by punishing them? Where is mercy? I'm sure he'll never forgive himself. What if you did something not as hazardous, which quite accidentally killed your own child? Would you think you deserve to rot in jail? The point of the matter is this was hazardous, and he was negligent, and he killed his daughter. That's what I want to know. Is it me? Am I nuts? Or are these people the crazy ones? <laughs> All right, the number is 888-6LESLIE, 888-653. Seven five four three. Let's go to the phones. Um, uh, let's see. Let's start with Michael in. Oh, Michael in the Bronx. Hey, Michael. 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 All right. I guess we don't have Michael. Let's go to Reggie on line one in Georgia. Hey, Reggie. How you doing, Nicole? Happy Friday. A long time seeing or hearing from you again. Ah, thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, I would like to talk to you about this NRA ad thing, because as you know, you're going to have some people like her, such as Dana Lowe, who's a proud, a very proud gun owner and a very, and a proud mother of two young sons to boot, and if something like this, who's going to defend, advocate, and support this ad, and if something like this ever happened to one of her kids, you, you think she'll be at fault and okay. grieving well, over this? Let, let me interrupt you for a second, Reggie, because we're talking about two different things. I'm talking yeah, okay. about this guy who killed his kid yeah. as he was preening in the mirror with a gun, right? And, right. and people are saying he shouldn't be punished. Uh, he killed his daughter. His daughter's dead. He's already been punished enough, which I think is bat crap crazy, right? But the other right. thing that I think you're referring to is there's an ad. Mother, yes. the, the NRA 
is having a Mother's Day contest, a Mother's Day giveaway. And here right. it says, celebrate Mother's Day with a chance to win a new Smith & Wesson M&P Shield and eight hours of firearm safety training. The NRA is doing a Mother's Day gun giveaway. Uh, I, I, I mean, seriously, sometimes I think I have fallen through the, the rabbit hole. Right. And, uh, you know, like I said, people like her are going to defend this ad, advocate, defend, and support this ad, because as I said before, she's a proud gun owner and a mother of two young sons to boot. And uh, whenever you talk about the NRA or gun safety or control or rights or whatever, it always comes back to them. It always comes back to the Second Amendment. They're going to think that we're going to take their precious little guns away from them, you know, their precious little uh, toys, as they call it, away from them. Yeah. But it's not but it's quite the opposite. It's not true. Nobody's coming after the, them or their guns. If they're safe, Really? You're, you know, Reggie, think about this. You know, right after uh, President Obama won the election in 2008, all of a sudden there was a run on gun shops and ammunition uh right ammunition was sold out of gun stores everywhere because people were told by Republicans, hello, that those Democrats are going to take away your guns. Really, if we were going to do it, wouldn't we have done it by now? Yes, we would have. But they like to play G.I. Joe and Ramble, you know what I'm saying, with their yep. beloved toy guns. And you got radio talk shows who like to pander fear about their gun rights and safety, their gun rights and safety being taken away from them, you know, about gun rights and gun control and gun safety, about their precious weapons being taken away from them. They like to pander and spread fear about that. And nobody seems to be wanting to challenge them up front, you know, about this stuff or debate them about this. I mean, what yeah. proof or fact do they have about people wanting to come in and take their guns away, like the president and others? What yeah, well, they don't. Do they have? don't. And again, it's just something that right wing hate talk radio, exactly. uh, Republican politicians, uh, right. Fox so called news, and, right. and uh, or, you know, groups like that do right. to get their base riled up and to try to scare them because they do everything based on fear. They want right. you afraid so you'll do what they tell you to do and vote against your own best interests. The only right. way they can get you to do that is by making you afraid. But let me ask you this, Reggie, um, uh, about this guy in Florida up in the panhandle, Evan Hernandez. What should happen to him, the one who accidentally shot his daughter? Oh, and by the way, now, believe it or not, they're doing a fundraiser. They have a, a, a like a, what are you fund it, a, a GoFundMe account to raise right. money for this little girl's funeral. Right. Well, I think this guy should be, well, jailed and do, do hours of community service and seek psychiatric, psychiatric help, you know, seek professional help and possibly not own a gun and... Well, go to jail, maybe for the rest of his life. He killed a six-year-old little girl. Right, and somebody can take care of his son like his mother. Or his wife. I I, I mean, I'm guessing he's married. The kid probably is a mother. Anyway, Reggie, thank you. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, 888-6LESLIE is the number. 888-653-7543. I think Michael's back now. Michael in the Bronx? Hi, can you hear me now, Nicole? I, I can. Hi there. Oh, I get good. Hi. Yeah. So, 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 what do you think? Well, I think I think of a lot of things. Number one, back in the day when I was growing up, I was taught, and many of us kids um, back in the day, I'm sure you remember Nicole, that we were taught that guns are not toys; they're not 
to be played with. So what the hell is this idiot doing playing around with a gun? That's something you expect or shouldn't hope to expect a little five-year-old, six-year-old doing, but then a grown-ass man playing around with a doggone gun, and then he turns around and kills the daughter? Now, it's in, right, and, cra- and what do you say to these people who are saying, well, his daughter's dead, he's been punished enough. Oh, you know, oh, now you're going to put him in jail and take him away from his other child? And this is what I will say to him. All right, boys and girls, take out your notebooks and listen up. All right, there are a few criminal charges here. One of them is reckless endangerment, endangerment of a child. How about criminal negligence, homicide? Those carry jail sentences. And I know damn well Republicans are right-wingers that if this was a black person holding a gun and doing this stuff and accidentally killing this dog, you'd be asking for his ass to be sent into prison, perhaps even death row. So let's cut the crap here. All right? We have innocent people getting killed, and as far as I'm concerned, the NRA is guilty of murder. They have blood on their hands. There's blood money. They want to keep pushing for more guns, more guns, more background checks, and not even doggone training, for heaven's sake. We read the Second Amendment, folks. It's not what the NRA is saying. No, and that's the other part. This so pisses me off. These gun nuts always disregard or just blatantly ignore the first four words, a well-regulated militia. Thank you. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, yes. And and, and so, right. And uh, we need a, we need a different Supreme court to, uh, to interpret it. Hey, Michael, I got to run because we got to take a break, but thank you. It's always great to hear from you. You know, you can listen to me by the way at radio or not.com. You can listen to the live show. Weekday mornings from 10 to noon Eastern or come to RadioOrNot.com anytime because it streams there. And hey, you know, we're coming up on the weekend uh, all weekend long. The, my week, the week's five shows repeat interspersed with uh, Brad Friedman of the Brad Blogs broadcast the five shows. So it's a lot of stuff all weekend long. The Week in Review on the weekend at RadioOrNot.com. All right, we'll take a break. Come back with more of your calls next at 888-6-LESLIE. Nicole Sandler in for Leslie Marshall. We'll be right back. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Radioornot.com in for Leslie Marshall on the Leslie Marshall show, taking your calls at 888-6-LESLIE. Um, uh, you know, again, Mother's Day is this Sunday. The NRA has a contest, a Mother's Day giveaway. The tagline is, forget flowers this Mother's Day. Mom wants something she can carry with her. I'm a mom. I would like a drawn card from my daughter. That's what I want. I don't want a gun. And if you bring a gun anywhere near my house, I will call the police on you and you will never be allowed in again. Okay? Uh, No, NRA, I do not want your gun. I do not want it. 
uh, I was going to try to rhyme with Sam I am, but, you know, uh, it is Friday afternoon. Can you tell? All right, let's try to get uh, at least one more call in here. I think we've got Craig from California. Craig, where in California are you? Uh, near Palm Springs. Oh, okay. I know it well. So uh, what's yeah. on your mind? Well, I was just, uh, you, your previous caller had a similar vein of thinking, but if, like, if I was this guy's neighbor and I came over to show off my brand new gun and I shot his daughter, I guarantee I'm leaving that house in handcuffs because, so why isn't he? Well, and I think the, the bigger message is, yeah, I, I realize this guy probably feels terrible. I mean, I would if I injured my daughter in any way, shape, or form, but... What happens to the next guy? You know, if there's no punishment here, this guy has no ramifications, the next idiot who does this to their kid and an idiot after that, it's when does it stop? Yes. And furthermore, I'm sorry, there's a difference between an accident and an act of negligence. And what I'm hearing from this case is this guy was totally negligent. What are you doing playing with a loaded gun in your house when there are little children around? Agreed. How do you do that? I, I'm just, it's incomprehensible. And what do you say to all these people on Facebook who are, who are saying, well, you know, this is more punishment than any person should ever have to cope with? I, 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 frankly, I mean, my jaw dropped. I could not believe what I was reading. And so, of course, me not knowing, you know, not being able to back away from an argument, I just, I, I wrote, I'm amazed at the comments here. No. Having killed his child is not, quote, punishment enough. He needs to spend the rest of his life in prison for taking her life and certainly can never have the privilege of raising another child. To which somebody responds, somebody by the name of Pat Susie, shocker, knee-jerk liberal wants to add their uneducated thoughts. <laughs> I, I disagree. Plus, you do have, I mean, so what about the next person? What about the next person? Yes. The next person who's playing around with their gun might go, hey, that dude went to jail for his entire life. I probably shouldn't be doing this. I mean, right, so right, have, exactly. have a great weekend. Thank you. You too, Craig. I appreciate the call. You know, with that, again, it's Mother's Day. It's a day when we, we celebrate the person who gave us life, <laughs> you know, put that in perspective. NRA. The Mother's Day is the day we celebrate the person who gave us life. And go figure, you want to give her something to take away life. Those two do not go together. This is nuts. All right. With that, we are almost out of time. I want to thank, of course, Leslie Marshall for having me fill in for her today. It was great fun. Uh, once I got the hang of the, you know, the, the ins and outs. And of course, now it's time to go. Um, and, and, and I hope you will uh, check out my show again. Come over to radio or not dot com anytime. Um, you know, we have uh, great guests there. You can listen, of course, anytime. Um, uh, day or night, because the stream is always playing there. Uh, in, in one last thing I want to I want to share with you from um, uh, Huffington Post, because I'm the mother of a daughter, right? And I came across this article this morning. It's it's entitled 11 Things Daughters of Strong Women Know." Uh, and number one, it's okay to like yourself. That's something uh, oftentimes teenagers don't realize. Number two. And not apologize for your success. Ooh, I like that. Uh, number three, lifting yourself up doesn't mean knocking someone else down. Number four, comparing yourself to other women will get you nowhere. Number five, if you can count your good friends on one hand, you're pretty lucky. 
these are these are pretty good, right? Number six, a relationship is not the main indicator of your happiness. Wow, if I only realized that when I was 16. Number seven, you don't need permission to do what you want when you want. Well, when you're a teenager, you do. But when you're an adult, you don't. Uh, number, number eight, you can stand on your own two feet. Number nine, forgiving someone is not the same as being a doormat. And number 10, superheroes cry too. And number 11, above all, girls just want to and should have fun. With that, have a wonderful weekend. 